Hey, Mark. You're looking pretty sporty today. Yep. Training for a big race. Oh. Well, I didn't even know you were a runner. Well, to be honest, I'm not much of an athlete, but Chad's made me an offer I really can't refuse. Really? What's that? Well, he said if I beat his pet tortoise in a foot race, he'd let me do the opening for the show. I didn't know Chad had a pet tortoise. But anyway, you're falling for the oldest trick in the book. Let me guess, the tortoise gets a head start. Yeah, he gets a hundred foot head start. But so what? He's a tortoise. Okay. In order to close this hundred foot gap, you have to first catch up to the spot where the tortoise started. Sure. But then, by the time you get there, the tortoise will have moved ahead by, say, ten feet. So now you have to close the ten foot gap. Yeah, no problem. But by the time you close that gap, the tortoise will have moved ahead a little bit again. And so on, and so on. Don't you see what's happening? You're never going to catch the tortoise, Mark. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. But I bet we'll find out on today's show. Hey everyone, welcome to You've Got It All Wrong, a philosophy podcast for handsome people like you. I'm Chad Allen. I'm Paco Allen. And I'm America's sweetheart, Mark Sanders. So the trick that I'm playing on Mark is a version of Zeno's paradox. Uh, Zeno was a Greek philosopher who lived in the 5th century BC, and we get this paradox um, from Plato's writings about Zeno. And I'll come back to the paradox in a minute, um, and we'll talk about it a bunch, um, but I just wanted to say a couple of things about paradoxes in general first. Um, and usually paradoxes work by sort of taking two things that seem true um, on their own, but when you put them together, it turns out that they can't both be true. And so it creates just this sort of like interesting mental puzzle and generates this intuition that something is really wrong. And so that's why I think we're kind of drawn to them because they're, they're just sort of like brain teasers and they kind of catch our attention and, and, uh, and just cause us to pause and think about uh, the world around us, but and they're pretty commonly used in philosophy to yeah test a intuition that we have or expose weaknesses in previous assumptions or previous models of how to look at yeah knowledge or language or right. other aspects or that just we're... what we think we know about the world right in general right and like a lot of these paradoxes are really old so like this this Zeno's paradox is twenty five hundred years old. And the ancient Greek philosophers generated a lot of paradoxes that are still with us today, and a lot of them don't have solutions, and we've never kind of really um, resolved the contradictions that they create. Um, I, I wanted to talk about Zeno's paradox because it's kind of interesting because it more or less does have a solution in contemporary mathematics. But just to sort of like play off that um, notion of, of why paradoxes are interesting to us, so in, in, in Zeno's paradox, which is... Um, in Zeno's for formulation was about Achilles and the tortoise, but in our formulation is about Mark and the tortoise. Uh, you you have these two like sort of conflicting intuitions. One is that of course if Mark is faster than the tortoise, and he, I mean he probably is, <laughs> <laughs> then uh, you know uh, what, which I mean we need to figure out which tortoise we're talking about. <laughs> That's true. 
Are there some fast tortoises? Yeah, no, definitely. I don't know. Are we talking about a land race or a water race? Ooh. A land, a land race, definitely. Okay. Mark's got a shot. Yeah, okay. I, I was also the captain of my uh, my track and field team uh, in high school. I was uh, Ooh, quite the Ooh, really? Yeah. The Australian national track and field team? <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Well, I don't... Did Mark, did you go to the Australian National High School? <laughs> didn't, didn't quite get into that one. Wait, so <laughs> where, what did you do in your, uh, did you, were you in the like tortoise dash 100 meter? Went in? Yeah, it was a little more, um, yeah, unfortunately, you know, most of the reptile based uh, uh, <laughs> events had been retired by the time yeah. I, I reached uh, that uh, level of schooling. Okay. And so what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> I did the I did the one hundred, I did the two hundred, I did the four by one, and I held the score record for the long jump. What? Yeah, that's amazing. In in, in addition to this, uh, he's also a uh, Olympic medalist in the utilitarian Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> the slaughtering. I mean, villages. Mark has a lot of different <laughs> athletic physical yeah, skills. It's true that you might not expect from him. Yeah. He's also a master juggler. Oh, really? <laughs> okay, enough about Mark. Um, this will so, all get cut out anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the heavy hand of the editor is going to come down on that. Um, oh, th- that's a bunch of crap. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Or you won't. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, intuitions that, that Zeno's paradox is, is trying to test are, you know, on the one hand, as I was trying to say like 10 minutes ago, it does seem to be the case that that even Mark will be able to catch up to the tortoise. Like in, we know that's true. That if we were actually watching Mark race against this tortoise, we we know that we'd be able to watch him catch up to and pass the tortoise. But at the same time, what what Zeno seems to be saying in this paradox is like, well, yeah, but if you think about it, sort of from like a mathematical perspective, like Mark has to sort of cover this infinite series of small distances right so first he's got to catch up to where the tortoise started the tortoise is going to be a little bit ahead so he's got to cover some more ground get to where the tortoise is he's going to get a little bit closer but in that amount of time the tortoise is going to have moved ahead by just a little bit more he's going to catch up to where the tortoise was then the tortoise is going to have moved forward just a little bit more so he's sort of slowly catching up to the tortoise but he's never going to quite get there because the tortoise is always going to have moved ahead a little bit by the time Mark gets to the point where the tortoise was a moment earlier. So, right. I mean, this is basically like the same problem of moving from point A to point B. And in order to move from point A to point B, first you have to cover half of the distance from point A to point B. Right. And then after you reach the halfway point, you still have to reach the halfway point of the halfway point to the end point. Yeah. That's a, that's another formulation of Zeno's paradox, which is the arrow, um, uh, which has to travel between the archer and the target. So Zeno actually has nine paradoxes that most of which sort of all center around this idea of <laughs> these kind of like they're all about the idea of movement and infinitesimally small series of um, of movements or events. Yeah, right. I mean, Zeno Zeno claimed that the the concepts of change and motion weren't real; that they were things that were constructed in our minds. And in the same way that you said, like, we would just get up and walk around to show that Mark can beat the tortoise, one of his contemporaries also did the same thing when he proposed this idea <laughs> yeah, of, the, right. of, of this paradox. Diagonese the, the cynic, right. which is a great nickname, simply got up and walked around the room and then sat back down to disprove Zeno's paradox. Right. <laughs> um, 
so what's interesting about Zeno's paradox, among many other things, is that that it's actually been addressed by contemporary mathematics. And so I can't do the math justice, but I can kind of like give you a a hint of how the, the mathematical solution works. And if you're really interested in it, you can go down the rabbit hole on this. But essentially, in contemporary mathematics, we have now two ideas of what infinity is um, and and all of Zeno's paradoxes are about infinity uh, on some level they're about infinite series of numbers so we have now in number theory what's known as a, a divergent infinite series so that's like something like one plus two plus three plus four plus five and if you continue that series out um, the solution um, is infinity and so that that is sort of like what we traditionally think of as like an infinite series of numbers. But there's another kind of infinite series called a convergent infinite series, which basically says if you take if you if you instead take a series of numbers like a half plus a quarter plus an eighth plus a sixteenth plus a thirty second, that the solution to that infinite series is one because from a mathematical perspective, the numbers converge to one. Right. And there's a whole set of proofs about that, again, that I can't really do justice. But that is Zeno's paradox, right? Which is that you're trying to... I think back, just like, before we go on, like, I think this idea of different ideas about infinity, like, I came across another explanation of this that is maybe even more simple and even more easy to understand, which is... The, the the main problem in Zeno's paradox is that if you think about trying to get from point A to point B by going half of the distance to your endpoint every single time, you basically end up with an infinite number of steps to get to your endpoint. And if the number of steps is infinite, you can never get there. Right. So then you try to think about the concept of infinity. So you can think about the idea of the number 0.9999 repeating forever or repeating to infinity, right? Yeah. So if you take 0.999 and divide it by three, you get the same answer as if you take the number one and divide it by three. So in in, in that respect, you can say that 0.999 repeating to infinity is actually equal to one. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. The 0.999 repeating to infinity yeah. isn't different from 1. It's the same number, which means that 0.999 repeating to infinity is actually finite. Like, it's a distance that you can travel. Right, right. Yeah, that's great. I hadn't heard that analogy. That is a much better job of explaining the math um, than anything I came across. So, yeah, so... Or, I mean, so, uh, so, so another way to think about it, sorry, just because I think these, the math solutions to this are really interesting. So if you take a number like three-sevenths, yeah. three divided by seven, that's 0.4285714, and that number also continues on to quote-unquote infinity. Yeah, it's an irrational number, right? But if you have sev- a heap of seven oranges, and I give you three of them, you don't have an infinite number of oranges. You have three oranges. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, I've always wondered why three-fifths bank was called the three-fifths bank. Is that a, is that a, like a an East Coast thing, the three-fifths bank? I've never heard of this. Yeah, it must be. You ruined the momentum on my infinite oranges sidetrack. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, no, those that's actually those were really those were really good. Like I hadn't come across those explanations for some of the math. I think the upshot there, what I thought was interesting is that, you know, we tend to think of these paradoxes as just being these like sort of weird things that um are are just sort of anomalies in the way that we talk about the world and that they're never going to get solved and they're, you know, they're just sort of out there. And I think that things like this, you know, the, what seem to be these like legitimate mathematical solutions to Zeno's paradox show us that these paradoxes actually have value and and some of them have solutions. And so they're worth continuing to think about um, above and beyond just sort of like their interestingness to us. Agreed. And and so, well, a couple of things. So one, um, it turns out that Mark is actually going to win this race against the tortoise. Um, and so I guess we'll have to let him do uh, the opening of the show next week. But I also thought it would be fun to talk about a few more paradoxes. And, and I think we have a couple of those lying around in our bag of paradox tricks if i'm not mistaken our paradox trunk Parad- yeah, let me let me let me <laughs> just pop open the uh the 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 top of this uh this paradise uh, this paradise this paradox trunk that's right next, the pod- that's right next to the power <laughs> thank you <laughs> it's, it's my fault i keep my paradise trunk and my paradox trunk right next to each other because it's alphabetical <laughs> well they're both yeah they're in the p section of your <laughs> trunk collection i get it it's like the warehouse seat <laughs> at the end of indiana jones <laughs> Go to the yeah. P section, <laughs> Paradise, Paradox, Pandora's. Oh, crap, I opened the wrong one. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I hate that when I go to open my Paradise Paradox trunk, trunk yeah. and I yeah open the Pandora's trunk. Uh, anyway, what's in your paradox trunk, Mark? Well, this is a uh, this is a, a paradox. This is the uh, that is a, a fan favorite. Uh, that's right. I'm I'm talking to you, Tim. Uh, this is the barber paradox this is centered around the uh young elephant who often wears a hat sorry that's that's the the baba paradox Uh, this is the uh this is the barber paradox um uh, this is actually a retelling of the famous russell paradox uh, named after uh, bertrand russell um not to be confused with the uh, lewis carroll uh barbershop paradox which you can uh, read about at your um own leisure uh, that involves um, uh, the characters of Uncle Joe and Uncle Jim and uh, someone called Alan, uh, quite surprisingly, spelt the same way as the uh, the Allen brothers. Oh, interesting. Uh, hmm. uh, but no, this one is, uh, uh, this is a paradox uh, of uh, logic and uh, what's known as set theory, but there's an easier way to tell this, this paradox uh, rather than uh, go down the path that we just went down with uh, a bunch of uh, math equations. So um, imagine a small town. Um, with uh, just one barber. Uh, here's a guy, uh, and there's a law. There's a law that uh, nobody can grow a uh, beard or mustache. Everyone must keep himself clean-shaven. Uh, and everybody does this by either shaving himself or going to the barber. So uh, who is the barber? He is, uh, the quote, the man in town who shaves all those and only those men in town who do not shave themselves. Right. So now you ask a question. Who is it exactly who shaves the barber? He can either shave himself or go to the barber, which is the choice of any of the men in the village. However, neither of these possibilities are really valid. They both result in the barber shaving himself. But he cannot do this because he shaves only the men who don't shave themselves. 
So he's screwed. Basically, that the moral of the story is that the barber is screwed. Don't be the barber. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or one answer is that, I, and I've seen it described um, uh, uh, through a number of means. But um, this is an example of uh, just to just to be clear, this is an example of um, of naive set theory. So naive in this this context. The first is the fact that the uh, the expression of the the paradox is is done through natural language, so human language, which is uh, you know a big part of the reason why this this problem exists because of how we're able to determine determine terms and uh, define um, what we classify as as one group of people and one another group of people. Um, and if you were to go to the the logical formal academic conclusions of more uh, rigorous. Uh, analytic philosophy, you could actually state that the barber doesn't exist. So, but that's not one. That's not a system that that is compatible with our real everyday uh, understanding of how the world works. Yeah, that doesn't make any kind of sense to anybody in the real world, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it's 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 like um, uh, the idea of uh, the quantum universe and the Newtonian universe, where you have rules that are very well you know founded in in both of those those areas of uh, of science and, and research, but they're incompatible when you try to uh, use one rule to explain uh, the fundamentals of another. Yeah, I mean, if that guy who works at the barber shop, who most people call the barber, owes you money. Like the argument that the barber doesn't exist doesn't hold a whole lot of water when you <laughs> need to collect on that loan. Yeah, it's it's like I often think of it as um, uh, uh, how matter uh, behaves at a uh, at an everyday level. You know, you can knock on a door and you can you don't fall through the floor. But if you actually look at the actual uh, molecular uh, state of matter, it's mostly just thin air. It's mostly just empty space with electrons swarming around. Um, you know, tiny tiny uh, nuclei of uh, 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 protons but we don't we don't know right, so how do we solve this problem who's the barber what's he doing does he have a beard does he not have a beard how does he shave it yeah so there's no good there I, there's actually no good uh, resolution of this paradox um, in its everyday uh english language formulation so um as mark said earlier um, that this paradox, as as Russell proposed it, um, undermined um, some of uh, Cantor's early work in in set theory, um, because essentially that 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 Cantor set theory could not account for the set of all sets that are not members of themselves, um, which is sort of the more technical formulation. And if you listen to our episode about sense and reference, you may remember that we talked about. Russell's paradox and how it undermined um, all of um, Gottlob Frege's work um, and set theory and logic. And Frege's work was an extension of Cantor's work. Um, and so Russell's paradox um, kind of was a big um, setback for Cantor's original um, versions of set theory and Frege's extensions of those set theories. Um, there's in the wake of this paradox, um, uh, Cantor's set theory um, has been revised, um, and there's a, a what is has sort of like stood for most of the 20th and 21st century as sort of the gold standard in set theory is the uh, Zermelo-Frankel uh, set theory, also known as ZFC. 
And again, it's going to be really hard for us to like talk about the math of this in everyday language. So it's another rattle hole you can explore on your own. Yeah. But, in, um, in fact, um, I, I looked, I, I spend a lot of my, my evening uh, searching for uh, good. You did uh, go down the rabbit hole. Good, I, good. I, I, I try to. So like there's a there's an article on Quora if you if you search for um, uh, Zamella Frankel set. And the question is, how do I explain Zamella Frankel set theory to a layman? And the answer is basically you, you don't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Quora. So uh, yeah. I've got so, a question. Yeah. Related to barbers and paradoxes. Mm-hmm. How does Superman shave? <laughs> <laughs> wasn't that wasn't that a, a Gillette um, a vile gorilla marketing campaign for the Man of Steel movie? Ugh, I mean, yes, the answer that, is yes. Part of it, yeah, but I mean, like that question's existed way before. Gillette got its gross marketing hands on it. Mm. But seriously, like, I can flame roast Superman in fire. I can shoot him with Gatling guns in the hair. Uh, I can chop him with a samurai sword across the top of the head. None of that's going to cut any of his hair. It's like, how's the dude shave? Are we sure that he has to shave? I think maybe the first premise in your argument is mistaken which, nope. which is essentially he grows, superman must he shave. does grow stubble yeah in the in the first act of the man of steel movie when he's on the fishing boat out at sea he has a... also in the comic books in movies and in books superman grows a beard just like any other human i, I have two answers for you one is this <laughs> that's already been postulated is that he uses a mirror and uh, bounces his uh, uh heat vision off the mirror his heat vision the, isn't the a laser it doesn't bounce off mirrors so that's dumb <laughs> like yes maybe, maybe the there way are some versions where <laughs> his heat vision line? bounces off mirrors but is it laser vision or heat vision <laughs> uh Okay, I want to hear the second possible explanation. So the second possible explanation is um, early in the, uh, the 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 canon. If uh, you Superman, bring up the WB um, show Smallville, I quit this podcast. <laughs> no, I I mean I mean back in the thirties. Uh, okay, early. Um, all right. I'm back. So the 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 is Smallville um, the, canon. Uh, that's a good uh, question. Not in my book. Okay, sorry, Mark. <laughs> Uh, so the uh, the original uh, storyline, uh, early story uh, stories of Superman, um, there's has a lot of different takes on Superman's powers, which have changed over the years. Originally, he couldn't fly, for instance; he just was able to jump really high. The whole concept was, uh, <laughs> which is where we get the phrase "single bound,", can, single bound right. exactly. Which is which still seems weird when you think of like, why can't he just fly over it? Um, that, was, that was before flying was added as, as a power. Essentially, right. all his all his skills and capabilities came from the fact that he had um, the same uh, 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 systems, the same um, uh, capabilities as humans, only much better. So he was stronger, faster, etc. Right. Um, and one he of them grew was a sweeter beard. Well, what, what he could do, he could actually <laughs> manipulate individual muscles in his face to uh-huh. disguise himself as other people. So right. he could actually make his face through contortions look what? like other people to impersonate them. And if, at that point, certainly you could suck in any beard stubble that grows. <laughs> this is worse than the heat vision bouncing off a mirror. <laughs> Are you going to put in the show notes, Mark, like a reference to either the 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 book issue number or like the TV show episode? I, I, I think our listeners are going to... Um, 
doubt the credibility of this claim. I, I think I will put in the episode of uh, 99% Invisible where I first heard this fact. Wow. Oh. Okay, yeah. No, plug <laughs> uh, another podcast. That's hey, great. Yeah. Hey, hey, you know Roman. my theory that podcasts are a zero-sum game and that if you, <laughs> if you turn people on to 99% Invisible and they go listen to it, they're going to delete our podcast from their phones. So... <laughs> I love that podcast, but you shouldn't listen to it. You should listen to our podcast instead. Yes. I, I, although, although quickly, I would like to add my my one and only halfway decent grasp on what the Zamello Frankel set is before we continue. Yeah, definitely. So, as I as I understand it, um, the issue with uh, the uh, the Russell paradoxes that you can't have a set of all sets that doesn't include itself. Right. The the heart of the Zamello uh, Frankel uh, set theory is the fact that. You cannot have um, sets that include everything, but you can have an infinite number of sets in an infinite number of universes, but they can't all exist in the single universe that we experience in the moment. Ah, uh, okay. Multiple universes. Yeah, that's a very um, that becomes a very prevalent uh, mechanism for explaining a lot of things in twentieth century philosophy. We haven't talked about. Uh, multiple universes at all on this show yet but you should definitely do that at some point that is a great explanation of zfc i hadn't heard that before okay let's i want to talk about one last paradox um i mean i could do this all night because paradoxes are amazing but i said we were going to talk about a paradox in logic and uh and another paradox about um well two paradoxes in logic one about set theory and one about vagueness yeah i mean i think that paradoxes may very well become a episode theme that we do on a regular basis but uh the last paradox that we're going to talk about tonight is known as uh sorites paradox which is sometimes translated as the paradox of the heap uh, because in ancient greek sorites means heap uh, and this paradox is attributed to Eubulides, who was a contemporary of Aristotle. Wait, can you say his name again? It's a ridiculous name. Like, it's not as cool as Zeno, <laughs> who is also an ancient Greek. Uh, it's Eubulides. Yeah. And he was a contemporary and uh, even a rival of Aristotle, which is probably not an awesome thing to be. It's like being yeah, a rival of Usain sucks. Bolt or Michael Jordan. You're just like, right. mm. I'm second yeah. best, but... He was okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Eubulides was famous for his paradoxes. He's got like four big ones that kind of like are the pillars of his career and, uh, uh, you know, like his legacy. Uh, those are known as the horned man, the hooded man, the liar, <laughs> and the heap, which I think are also awesome names for Japanese horror movies. Uh, say him again uh, the horned man the hooded man the liar and the heap yeah there was uh there was an episode of uh of the fargo uh television series i think it was episode eight called the heap yeah eight or nine um, after yeah i saw that too yeah uh which is an awesome series go watch that when you're out listening to podcasts and cancel all podcast subscriptions yeah. except ours <laughs> um uh but today we're going to focus on uh the heap um, which, uh, as Chad alluded to, like challenges 
our understanding of language and kind of like brings up some of the faults or weaknesses in language around vagueness. So the paradox goes essentially as follows. Consider you have a heap of sand. Uh, it's like a pile of sand, heap of sand, pile of sand. So let's say maybe this pile of sand or heap of sand is a million grains of sand. So it seems intuitively... One a million grains. One million grains. That is a <laughs> yeah, terrible <thank> uh, <laughs> Dr. Evil impersonation. Uh, so anyways, uh, a million grains of sand, that seems like if they're all kind of mushed together, that's a heap of sand. Yep. Most people would say that's a heap of sand or a pile of sand. So now imagine that we start removing individual grains of sand one at a time. Boink, boink. We remove yep. one grain of sand from the heap. Is it still a heap? Yes. Now we've got 999,999 grains of sand. Still seems like it's a heap. Yep. So then you can make the argument that We've got a couple premises here, that one million grains of sand equals a heap, that a heap of sand minus one grain is still a heap, right? Like we had a heap of sand, we took one grain away, we still feel like that's a heap of sand, so a heap of sand minus one grain is still a heap. Yep. So now imagine we start removing more and more grains of sand, one at a time. Remove one grain of sand from the 999,999 grain of sand heap we've got 999,998 grains of sand still a heap we got this premise that we've agreed on that removing one grain of sand from a heap doesn't change it from a heap to something else it's still a heap so we keep doing that and we keep doing that over and over again and basically what you get is the idea that you can reduce this grain of sand down to 100 grains of sand 20 grains of sand one grain of sand, and it's still a heap because removing one grain of sand from a heap doesn't change it from a heap to something else. So you can constantly right. do that until you get one grain of sand and even get to the point where, ready for your minds to be blown, that one grain of sand is still a heap and you can remove that single grain of sand and now you have no grains of sand, but you still have a heap of sand. What? No, I hadn't heard that formulation yeah. of it. I mean... That's the way it goes. Like, if you accept that... How can you have a heap of sand if there's no sand at all? Well, uh, this... E I mean, it even goes further to say that you can have negative grains of sand, which is crazy, but the same logic applies. Or this that you can have, like, five elephants and it's a heap of sand? <laughs> no. Like, if you no, take away the, all the sand but, and but, then you, like, put an elephant where the heap was? <laughs> no, I don't think anybody argues that. But if you start with a heap of sand <laughs> and you agree that you yeah. have a heap of sand and removing one grain of sand doesn't change it from a heap to something else, then you can, from, like, a theoretical mathematical standpoint, go into negatives and still have a heap of sand. Huh. Okay. You can also do the reverse and start with one grain of sand. Not a heap. And say it's not a heap and assume that adding a single grain of sand isn't enough to make it a heap. So I've got, is two grains of sand a heap? Everybody would say no. No. Right? And so yeah. I can keep adding a single grain of sand and you'll never get a heap. But at some point I've got a pile of sand bigger than your house and it's not a heap. Definitely a heap. Yeah. So does anybody have any ideas about how to deal with this? Uh, yeah, so there's like the obvious one, which is to say that a heap of sand is 
a heap of sand is 10,000 grains of sand or more. Like if we, right. you know, maybe a heap of sand, we look at it and we're like, ah, you know, it's a heap when it's about a foot tall or whatever. Right. And we count all the grains and that's right. 10,000. So basically you can object to the first premise by saying a million grains of sand isn't a heap. A million grains of sand is an arbitrary number. Why is that a heap? Why is any specific number a heap? Heaps, in fact, don't exist. There's no such thing as heaps. You can also draw an arbitrary line like you've just done and say yeah. a thousand grains of sand is a heap or a million grains of sand is a heap. But that's kind of like an arbitrary number. So you can object to that first premise. You can try to like define it more clearly. So, you, so I mean, one approach would be to define it away, kind of define this paradox away and say this number of grains of sand is a heap and anything less isn't right. a heap, but it's kind of like, it's a bit arbitrary. That doesn't really... Right? Yeah, it doesn't really work because you feel like, oh, I've got 10,001 grains of sand and it's a heap. And then I take away another grain of sand and I got 10,000 and it's a heap. And then I take away one more grain of sand, which is basically an infinitesimal amount. And then suddenly it's not right. a heap. right. So that doesn't really square with our experience of the world or how we use language. I, I, bet, th I bet there's a Euro European Union standard for what a heap is that all the countries have to abide to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the European <laughs> Union standards and the metric standards are an amazing thing that we do not have time to go into right now. <laughs> but how they are currently defined in the modern world is like... It, it it's it's an amazing beautiful tapestry of bureaucracy testament to what science has done to try to quantify the measurement of things yeah by like universally indivisible measurements anyways yeah well can i can i quickly qu quickly give you uh, an alternate uh, take on on the uh, the heap of sand um uh, paradox with a, a saying my father always likes to bring up is that you you can't dig half a hole like whatever the size of the hole is, that's the size of the hole. Huh. You can't have. You can't dig half a hole. You can't have half a hole. Is that like some down home Australian wisdom? <laughs> this sounds like a thing your dad said when he wanted you to dig a hole and you were being lazy. <laughs> can't dig half a hole, Mark. That hole's not dug yet. <laughs> so another thing you can do is you can object to the second statement. And say that some heaps, after removing a single grain of sand, aren't heaps anymore, and it depends on the specific heap, and that's also kind of about like drawing a line in the quote-unquote sand, no pun intended, and saying that this thing's a heap and that thing's not a heap. Uh, you can also embrace the paradox, like embrace the conclusion, and say that one grain of sand is a heap. There are no heaps. Just a particularly small heap. No. A nano, a nano heap. Only, and you can only <laughs> right. at that point object to the idea that zero grains of sand is a heap. And that seems like more reasonable to say that if you don't right. have anything of this thing, it's not a heap of that thing because there's none of it there. But one grain of sand is a heap. It's just like the minimal amount of heap required. And there's lots of other ways to deal with this paradox. They get into even crazier math, believe it or not, than the definitions of infinity that we dealt with in the first paradox. So, like, we'll have plenty of yeah. links in the show notes to ways to deal with this mathematically. But that's, like, the the general idea 
behind Sir, the Sorites paradox. And there's lots of other cool variations of this. Yeah, like the color version. If you imagine, you know, gambling chips, and there's a you've got two different shades of blue gambling chips right next to each other, and they're only so very slightly different that no one on Earth can tell the difference between the two. Right. And you kind of have a series of them, one next to each other, that are slightly different, slightly different, slightly different, and they change from blue to red to yellow to green. And if you can't tell the difference between one chip and the next, then forget about skipping from one chip to 200 chips down the line where you can tell from blue to yellow or blue to green or whatever. That It follows the same rules of the heat paradox where you can't tell the difference yeah. between any color when yeah. clearly through your intuition you can. Same with yeah. tall, same with rich, same with bald, same with old. You know, a seven-foot person is clearly tall. A four-foot person yeah. is clearly short. But where is it in between those two people right. where you go from being short to tall or average? Uh, it's it's not well-defined in it. Yep. It exposes this, the weakness of the vagueness of language. And Bertrand Russell, you know, ha- has a huge problem with the vagueness of language and was a, a massive proponent of trying to reduce things like language to logical, mathematical-style problems and used a lot of these classical paradoxes to basically kind of like prove his point that language was a a terrible, vague, you know, kind of like in-between from the way that the world really worked to how we communicated it. So can we vote? Are we going to vote on each one, one at a time? No, I think that, I think we should just vote on the heap because I feel like we were able to uh, articulate some sort of solution for Zeno's paradox and, and Russell's paradox or the Barber paradox even though we don't have the mathematical vocabulary um, to to really sort of fully do justice to the solutions, I think that they're they're out there. Whereas the heap, I think, is is a paradox that has no clear sort of like agreed upon solution. So I think right. I think that's the one we should vote on, and I think we should let's vote on. Can you tell the difference between a, a grain of sand and a heap of sand? Oh, geez, that's the specific thing we got to vote on. Yeah, does the distinction exist? Uh, I'm gonna. V- I'll go first, and I'm gonna vote no because I kind of go with the third option of embracing the conclusion, and I say that one grain of sand is a heap of sand. It's just a particular heap of sand. So any amount of sand from one to infinity is a heap of sand. They're just different heaps of sand. Yeah. Okay. Mark, uh, I will go with. Um... Uh, I will go with Paco's take on it because I think there's got to be also some legal definition that would also warrant the the case where one grain of sand would, could be described as a as a heap of sand. And also that uh, that philosopher must know his sand um, since he comes from um, uh, Tatooine and, and is very engaged in the pod races there. That's the philosopher, right? Sebulba? <laughs> no, no, no. Sorites is no. the name of the paradox, which is the Greek word for heap. <laughs> and what's the name? Who's the name of the philosopher? The philosopher is called Sebulba, right? Yeah, no, the philosopher is Sebulba. Uh, this is the last time. This is the last time in the history of the show anyone gets to reference any Star Wars episode before episode four. Eubulides. 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 Sebulba. Eubulides. I think that I fall sort of somewhere in the kind of Bertrand Russell family of responses to this paradox, which is I I actually think that the word heap is just kind of like meaningless and without definition, and that strictly speaking, there's just no such thing as a heap of sand because we can't define the word. 
So the way I see it, you guys want to say that either one grain of sand or a million grains of sand or are both of those things are heaps. And I want to say that there's just no such thing as a heap because if we can't give a definition to the word that, that kind of makes sense to us, then then the word's just meaningless. All right. To the mid-show break. everybody um i wanted to in the second half of the show talk a little bit about Zeno, the man uh the the myth the legend um who came up with uh the paradox that we talked about at the top of the show so ancient greek philosopher he lived from uh, 490 to 430 bc um, and we're talking about Zeno of elea not to be confused <laughs> with Zeno of citium um, who was also a philosopher um, who who lived about a uh, hundred years um, after uh, Zeno of Elea. And, he, and, he, and Zeno of Sidium was actually the founder of um, the Stoic uh, school of philosophy. And maybe in a future show, we'll talk about Stoicism. We know about Zeno of Elea, um, the, the author of our paradoxes, primarily from Plato's uh, Parmenides, which primarily is, a, is an account of a meeting between Parmenides and Zeno um, and a young Socrates. Um, among other things, Plato says of Zeno that he was tall and fair to look upon and was, in the days of his youth, reported to have been beloved by Parmenides. So Zeno, good-looking guy, uh, in addition to coming up with some crafty paradoxes. Another tidbit I thought you might like to know about Zeno was that he was apparently a little bit of a rabble-rouser and an activist, and he was part of a conspiracy to overthrow uh, Nearchus, the tyrant, we don't really know anything about except that Zeno tried to overthrow him, um, which I think we get again from the Parmenides. But apparently when Zeno was, he was tortured by Nearchus the tyrant and, and asked to reveal the names of his co-conspirators. He refused to reveal their names, but he said that he did have a secret that would be advantageous for Nearchus to hear if he would only lean in close enough to hear Zeno whisper the secret to him. Can anybody guess what happens next? Is there some ear biting? He bites down on his secret tooth, which contains poison gas, <laughs> a la Dune. <laughs> you know, that's what I thought I was going to read in the very next sentence when I was reading this. But no, he kind of goes all Mike Tyson on me. He whispers, <laughs> Jeff, it's Jeff. <laughs> Uh, he he bites Nearchus's ear, and and quote did not let go until he lost his life, and the tyrant lost that part of his body. So I, I think what it boils down to is Zeno, uh, good looking guy, great paradoxes, not a rat. Don't mess around with him. Yeah, not a rat. <laughs> 
Yeah, he, he lent in, the guy lent in because he thought like, hey, you know, there's an infinitesimal distance that his mouth has got across to get to my ear. There's no way he's going to be actually <laughs> able to reach it. I'll never. <laughs> hey, trust me, your ear will never get near my teeth. <laughs> oh. Okay, well, Zeno that's... also maybe the most pronounceable name of any ancient Greek philosopher. I know, right? It's so easy. I mean, Plato's pretty easy. You've got you've got Zeno. I've <laughs> got Eubulides. <laughs> hey, Eubulides! <laughs> I'm sure that's offensive to so many people. Yeah, on multiple levels. Sorry, ancient Greeks and New Jerseyans alike. Right. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, that's kind of that's that's what I wanted to say. About Zeno. Can I give you some beard facts? Okay. I just realized I got some beard facts. Oh, beard facts. Is this good? I, you know, I want beard facts to be a recurring theme in the same way that <laughs> Mark's naming <laughs> trivia is a recurring theme. <laughs> All right. The guys got some funny names and some beard facts. Yeah. All right. Beard, beard Watch 2015. <laughs> I presume this is loosely connected to uh, our. It is. It is. It is because I. I was. I don't. I also don't want any uh, Jonathan Frakes Rikers beard stuff in here. Okay. Wait. Wait. Too close to home. So yeah. I hope we've got. I hope we've got beard trivia beyond. uh, Updating my notes. Won't be a second. Just got to delete a couple of paragraphs. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let me delete the first two thirds of these. Uh, so it always struck me as weird uh, that the convention of this uh, this paradox was the the rule was no, you know, every man must be clean shaven. It's like that's kind of like stretching, um, you know, a, a point for this. But I actually realized that um, in 1698, Emperor Peter the First of Russia actually instituted a beard tax. It was a, a because the Russians loved their beards and it was a great way to make money, but also um, he wanted to modernize right. <laughs> and to stay warm in a really frigid. Oh, well, partly was because culturally, you know, Russia was was trying to be more kind of cosmopolitan and European, and uh, he thought that you know, like you know, the 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 high fashion is not to wear a beard. He wanted it to modernize society. Um, so he wanted everyone to have like crazy lamb chop, mutton chop sideburns and like a big wax handlebar mustache yeah you wanted to you know bam it up a notch um so can you cut out that part where i said lamb chop sideburns no i think we should just include all of our (laughs) editing requests like in (laughs) like just in the show all right so what happens with this russian guy who doesn't like beards um, if you uh, if you do want to have the beard uh you pay the tax but like how are they how are you going to know whether you pay the tax or not so you were given a beard token which was a a copper or silver uh coin with a, a russian eagle on one side and on the other side was the lower part of a face with a nose and um and a beard and it had the phrase uh the beard tax has been taken this is amazing and also the phrase don't forget, the beard is superfluous and a burden. <laughs> Do I, I mean, okay, listeners out there, this is my first major request, and I feel like it's going to be my ongoing request until it happens. And hopefully, the show, I don't, it might not be big enough right now, but hopefully, like five years from now, 10 years from now, it'll be big enough. I want one of these coins. Hopefully, there still exists somewhere. In, Dude, if they uh, exist, shop. they're worth like a bajillion dollars. 
yeah, okay, we can pool our money together. If so, <laughs> like, look, if somebody finds that these coins still exist, we'll start a Kickstarter. Like, we'll right. figure it out step well, Mark, by step. Mark, did you get this far on your I research? Didn't. I didn't. Uh, like, if, 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 if not, we could always get one manufactured as a challenge coin. <laughs> yeah, no, <sorry>. F, <laughs> F the challenge coins. Look, we need to find out if these coins still exist. I want a beard coin. A yeah, I kind of want a beard coin. Too. Beard coin. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do it together. I'm not asking for somebody to go out there and buy it. You just like, want to know where it is. Full cloth. Yeah, I want yeah. to know if they exist, and then okay. the next step we'll find out where they exist, and then we'll find out how much it costs. Then we'll start a Kickstarter. Cool. Uh, we'll uh, one more. Um, now this time we're going to uh, go from Russia to Italy. Uh, the barbers of Italy. Uh, were renowned not just for um, their hairdressing, but because they had an active sideline in castrations. Oh, because they had the sharp, uh, uh, yeah, not in a blades lying around for it, right? I'm gonna, I'm just gonna put you guys on mute for a bit, and <laughs> so there's nothing, there's nothing gory in this, in. and th- this isn't part of a uh, uh, an organized crime type castration. This is, uh, uh, even though the practice was illegal, it was done for uh, the uh, vibrant opera scene it was uh, how you made yourself a castrati a uh, the singer with the high pitched oh. voice yeah so uh yeah yeah okay. i got uh can we move on i, to some I, other I facts? just got it yeah uh, yeah thank you, yeah oh no, no go yeah um, no, i go didn't actually it, have <laughs> I, fi- I, fi- I figured this was going to be a runaway mark sanders second half you know of to show. be honest i didn't have these these next uh, two or three facts um in my notes before we started recording but it suddenly i was suddenly seized by one of my most favorite um uh, wikipedia pages the wikipedia list of humorous units of measurement uh on the the question of like how much is a heap <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. Can we just back up to the part where you have a, f- uh, what, where this is one of your favorite Wikipedia pages? Do you have, like, are you saying that you have, like, he a does. list of favorite he's like, Wikipedia he, he's pages? Like, he's like a, he's like a kid from, like, the, <laughs> you know, like the 1940s or 50s who has memorized yeah, the dictionary. Yeah, yeah this is, <laughs> Wikipedia is one of my top three Wikipedia? almanacs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of. So I'm not. I do. I unfortunately I couldn't find a uh, a unit uh, of sand by by grain. But I did. I did come across. This is one of my favorite ones. It's the uh, the smoot. It's a yeah. unit of of yeah. length. It's uh, roughly equivalent to uh, five foot seven inches or 170 centimeters. The uh, the uh, smoot. The smoot. S M O O T. The um, the Harvard Bridge is uh, 364.4 smoots long. And uh, a smoot. What is the smoot based on? Yeah. The smoot is based on the height of Oliver R. Smoot. Uh, and it's an ISO standard. It's an international organization for standard unit of measurement. And he was a student uh, at MIT. So people were like, how big is, the, how big is that, uh, that foundation? Oh, it's about 200 smoots. Uh, so it became a, a de facto unit of measurement, this, this guy. Um, I, did he just, like, sneak his way into the ISO? I don't get it. Like... <laughs> Can, he, was I just, mean... he was just beloved. <laughs> you can okay. you can go into uh, Google Earth or uh, Google Calculator and calculate um, uh, distances in smoots. Really? You know, this is this is one yeah, of those like, where I, I can't feel go, like I, really... I can't go to I can't go to Joanne Fabrics and say I want three smoot of felt, and I can't go to the candy store and say I want four smoot of bubblegum tape. Like yeah. it's not an acceptable standardized like means of measurement uh no no you're right not unlike unlike i deem um, your smoot moot 
<laughs> Going back to the question of time and and uh, uh, and splitting up the amount of time that a, a person would have to cross uh, in uh-huh. a distance to beat the tortoise, um, I would like to propose the um, measuring time in the nano century, which is the equivalent to three point one five five seconds, or the uh, micro fortnight, which is one point two zero nine six seconds. These are not also ISO recognized. Um, uh, not, not, yeah, not not technically. Um, uh, it, it does loop, loop back around there. My favorite unit unit of time measurement from the list of humorous units of measurement Wikipedia page is the beard second. The um, it's like a, it's like a uh, the uh, the uh, unit of, of of length this time inspired by the light second. Um, and this is officially the beard second is one hundred angstroms or ten nanometers. That's how much a beard grows in one second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought you were going to say it was named after, like, John Beard or something. But you're saying it's actually a measurement. The average how... amount of beard grows I mean, I feel like you're just messing with me now. Well, you can actually read about it in the Nordling and Ostermann's Physics Handbook. The what? The, the Nordling and Ostermann's Physics Handbook. That doesn't Handbook. sound like a thing I can actually read. <laughs> <laughs> that, seems, that sounds like a thing that I need to be able to read Swedish to read. <laughs> right. <laughs> Physics Handbook for Science and Engineering, 8th edition, but last published 2006. See show notes. <sighs> All right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I released the ball. God. Yeah, I mean, I, like, uh, we're running long on this show of yeah, Thanks for sticking madness. with us. Uh, I've got a couple things that I just wanted to mention. Um, one, there are obviously tons of awesome movies that deal with paradoxes, and I love time travel movies, and time travel movies just purely based on their concept deal with paradoxes. I'm not going to go into any ranking of my favorite time oh, travel God. movies, yeah. uh, but one thing that I did come across is... Back to the Future 2's working title while they were keeping it under wraps uh, before anybody knew that they were actually filming Back to the Future 2 was called Paradox. Ah, mm. Interesting. And then the other thing that I came across that I think is absolutely mind-boggling. Build it up some more. And we talked about this right before the show started, so you, Chad and Mark, you guys both obviously know about this, but... It is a math paradox called the Monty Hall problem. Yeah. And this is a paradox in kind of like the original sense of the definition of the word. Paradox is an ancient Greek word, uh, a contradiction to common thinking. So it doesn't mean what the modern definition of paradox means, where you kind of have two different premises who individually taking to their logical conclusion makes sense, but when you combine them together, don't make sense. It was basically like any idea that didn't make sense according to common intuition. Yeah. So the Monty Hall problem is a brain teaser that's based on the game show Let's Make a Deal. Monty Hall was the game show host of Let's Make a Deal, and it goes like this. So suppose you're on a game show... And you're given a choice between three doors, which was a basic conceit of let's make a deal. And they tell you behind one door is a car. Behind the other two doors are goats. Now, you also have to assume that you think goats are worthless and you don't want them. That's not true. Goats are awesome. Yeah, they are amazing. But 
let's say behind two doors are garbage. Behind one door a car, behind two doors garbage. Yeah. Let's also say that you aren't driving the DeLorean from Back to the Future 2 where garbage can fuel Mr. Fusion and it's actually awesome fuel. So forget that. Behind one door is a car, behind two doors, worthless garbage. Now, let's say you pick one door to keep it easy. Let's say door number one. And the host, who knows what's behind each of the three doors... Monty. ...opens another door. Yeah. Door number three. And behind door number three is the pile of garbage, or the goat if you're a jerk and you think goats aren't worth anything. So you've picked door number one. The host opens door number three. There's garbage goats behind it. And he says, <laughs> do you want to pick door number two or do you want to stay with your choice of door number one? Yep. Now, which of those two things is going to provide and you need to switch. the you need best to switch. outcome for you in terms of you want to win the car? You don't want goats. You don't want garbage. You badly want a car. It's a DeLorean. It's a time travel DeLorean. Door number one, you still like... There's a time-traveling DeLorean behind a door. There's goat garbage behind two other doors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the intuition here is that in, in the intuition here is that you've opened one and you've found your goat garbage. No, no, no. You've chosen one. You don't know what's behind it. You've chosen one. The host opens one of the other two doors. You chose door one. He opens door three. That door will have a goat behind it. There's goat garbage behind door three. And he says, yeah. okay... You can stay with your choice of door one, or you can pick door two. Right. And the intuition is that it, that you have a 50-50 chance because, yeah. you know, yeah. But, but that is wrong. not true. It's crazily not true. Yeah. Choosing door number one gives you a one-third chance of getting it right. Switching your choice after the host opens door number three and shows you goat garbage. Switching your choice to door number two gives you a two-thirds chance of winning. And there are, like, legit award-winning mathematicians who disagreed with this conclusion for publicly for years. Well, it was super contentious because that this solution to the problem that showed that you should switch doors is proposed by um, the woman who wrote the Ask uh, Marilyn column in Parade Magazine, uh, Marilyn yeah. Vos Savant. And so it's, like, a it, it, it's actually a really interesting story as well because she was right but uh, there was something like over a thousand phds who like wrote to uh, parade magazine and basically told her that she was like insane and had no idea what she was talking about and like they uh, people actually like built computer simulations to model it because they didn't like agree with her or they thought her reasoning was flawed, and and that all turned out to be like to to ultimately like work in her favor. But it's kind of a crazy story, just because she was so right, but so many people thought she was so wrong. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like the simplest way, without getting into the crazy mathematics grids that show you all the different choices and how it yeah makes sense, is to just consider this. Like you can consider the two original unchosen doors together, right? So yep. you can keep your one door out of three as your choice, and there's a one in three chance that you've won, or you can consider the second two choices together. Like you can switch from the first choice 
which is it's its own set of one out of three chances to win. Or you can move your vote to the other two doors, one of which has already been eliminated. Right. Right. So it's weird, and it seems like you're saying, okay, well, I chose one, three's been eliminated, so my chances of winning are 50-50 because there's only two doors left. But if you think about it in terms of sets and moving your vote from one out of three to two out of three, if you said, all right, you can choose two out of these three doors or you can choose one out of these three doors, you'd say, well, I'll choose two out of the three. That's what you're doing. In your original choice, you're saying, I pick door one out of three. And then the host says, well, I'm going to open door three. It's a goat. It's a goat. It's goat garbage. <laughs> right? Yeah. So now you have a choice of saying, well, I'm going to stick with vote one out of three, or I'm going to move my vote to choose two doors out of three, which is yep. what you're doing. Yep. Two doors out of three is a better mathematical chance. Yep. But it, it still boggles the mind to say that there's <laughs> any better mathematical yeah. chance. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the analogy I heard was, imagine there's 102 doors, yeah. and then, then you pick one, and then instead of one other door revealing goat garbage, the host opens up 100 doors of goat garbage, and then leaves you um, just just um, a choice of, of, of two doors ahead of you. And you've, your chances have gone down from one in 102 to you know, one in two, which odds are much better. Yeah. I think also we have the title of this episode, which is Goat Garbage. Goat Garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or not Goat Garbage, because we don't want to have any negative SEO there. <laughs> uh, all right. Okay. Well, I'm pretty sure that wraps it up for this episode. It's a, This episode is a million years long. If you're still here, thank you so much. Yeah, imagine if you'd picked 100 goat garbage episodes of other podcasts <laughs> and we revealed that to you, then all you have yeah. to do is pick our show. No, I mean, if if listening to this episode right now, make that point A, and then the end of the episode is point B, and in order to get to point B, you've got to listen to half of the remaining episode. Yeah, you basically... And when you get to the halfway point, you still have half of the remaining episode left. And then when you get to that halfway point, you've got half the remaining episode left. This episode is infinity long. Yeah, it kind of but is. But at some point, you'll be done. And it's also infinity good. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you have a minute, we'd love it if you left us a review in iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcast platform you use. We wanted to send out a special thanks to all you who reached out to us in the past few weeks with comments, questions, and feedback. Thanks to S. Martina, Korea Has Soul, MC Willie P., Noah Stevens, Hart Thorson, Christina W., Reed Minor, Deep Sexy Thought, TC Washington 3., and R.C. Elgard for the tweets. Thanks to Chris and Joey and Daniel for sending us questions and feedback via email. Thanks to Christopher and Diane for getting at us on Facebook. We're already taking everyone's feedback into account as we work on the show, and we'll be addressing some of the questions you've raised in a future episode. If you want to be part of the show, you can find us online at you'vegotitallwrong.net. Send us your questions and feedback to questions at you'vegotitallwrong.net. Search for You've Got It All Wrong on Facebook and like our page, and you can follow us on Twitter. The show is at All Wrong Podcast. I'm at Paco Allen. I'm at Chad Allen. And I'm at M. Sanders.
Don't think of a monkey. <laughs> mm, delicious what? monkey. What? What did you just say? I said, don't think of a monkey. What the? Well, I've heard it is don't don't this... think of an elephant, but yeah, same thing. It's the huh? it's a Zen koan. Man, is there a whole section of the show I'm not going to know about that I should have known about? No, this is a different show. Our show, but our episode about Eastern philosophy. I think it's a Zen koan. Do you know it's origin? Did we Mark? already record that episode? <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> um, I can't remember the exact uh, formulation of this. Do you remember it, Mark? Don't think of an elephant. No, all I know is from a psychological point of view that if you tell someone not to think of something, that they can't not think of it. Right. Because that's the way the mind works. I think it's everybody a- clear. Everybody clear your minds. Don't yeah. think of anything. Right. <laughs> right. The choice has been made. <laughs> wait, wait. Who thought of something? The traveler has been chosen. <laughs> Those lines are probably wrong, but uh, amazing Ghostbusters. Enough. Yeah.